created live on Fireside. Welcome to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe, the fireside chat about U.S. higher education, the news and the stories of campus life. I'm Dr. Laura DeVoe, a 30-year higher education veteran who has dedicated her life to college students. Over those years, I celebrated underdogs who won championships. I ate more pizza than a human being should ingest in a lifetime. And I shook the hands of graduates as they grabbed hold of that hard-earned diploma on the first day of the rest of their lives. And that's why I'm here. You see, there are lived experiences. There are stories. There are moments that students have on campus that prepare them for life. I want to connect with these people and those who helped them along the way and hear how campus life brought their real life purpose. There are so many stories on campus, and that's why I hope you'll stay to listen, contribute, and become part of the community. So join me for Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe, only here on Fireside Chat. Good afternoon, everybody. And I'm going to turn my camera on because I put makeup on today and I thought it would be a nice thing to do. So welcome to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. It is our space here that we meet every week at noontime. It is your professional development space here on Fireside Chat for people in higher education and those who care about higher education in the United States. Um, I am joined by a wonderful panel of folks. Um, our topic today is an important one. Um, it really dovetails off of last week where we were talking about recruitment and retention of higher education professionals. Um, and today's topic is on the flip side of that. Um, like many industries, higher education is losing longtime staff and administrators, salaries, work hours, and the changing landscape of expectations are all contributing to staff turnover. On today's episode of Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe, we feature a panel of former higher education administrators who, for a variety of reasons, have left the field and moved to a new industry. We will be discussing what prompted the move, current trends in departures, and what higher education can do as a field to mitigate what we're calling nation. Thank you all for being here. Um, I'm going to introduce my, my guests. And for those of you who are new to Fireside, if you are listening as this is streaming, one of the things we can do here on Fireside is we can stream uh, to our various uh, social media platforms outside of Fireside, including Twitter, including Facebook, including LinkedIn. What you can do if you are here in the room is you can click on the hamburger, which is the dark circle on the lower left-hand corner of your screen, and you can click on broadcast to the world. By doing so, that will bring up a link for you. You can copy that, or you can choose to just broadcast it immediately to your chosen uh, uh a social media platform. Um, we have four guests, three of whom are already here in the room. I believe the other guest is on her way. Um, and we are going to do some quick introductions. Um, and uh, hold on one second. Shut down. Okay. I'm telling, I'm telling our other guests to shut down and, 
and come back in. Um, so our guests are uh, Valerie Haruska. She goes by her, the she pronoun series. She has spent 12 years in housing and residence life in various roles. She currently works as a customer success manager at Labster, which is a Boston-based company that has created interactive advanced lab simulations using gamification and 3D immersion. Um, and Labster serves institutions globally, not just here in the United States. Welcome, Valerie. Thanks for having me, Laura. Excited to be here. Okay, great to have you. Um, the next guest we have is Marta McManus. Uh, she has over 17 years of combined experience in counseling, advising, career coaching, and connecting her clients with industry uh, within the K-12 and higher education platforms. Her favorite part of the work is connecting people to meaningful work experiences and opportunities. Her current work specializes in helping clients successfully transition in their career, return to work, change direction completely, or step up after stepping back in their career. Welcome, Marta. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. And uh, Jessica Pence is next. Uh, she also goes by the she pronoun series. She currently works in ed tech as the head of community at Lambda School, an online school that removes barriers and gets learners into a great tech career. Prior to Lambda School, Jess worked in higher education for 13 years, beginning her career in housing and residence life and then transitioning to student conduct. She has a PhD in counseling and student personal services from the University of Georgia. Go Bulldogs. Uh, welcome, Jess. Thank you. And yes, go dogs. <laughs> All right. And uh, we have a fourth guest who is having some technical issues. Her name is Jen Schaefer, and hopefully she'll be able to get uh, her uh, issues taken care of. Jen um, solidified her career path in student affairs when she interned at the NASPA headquarters in Washington, D.C. NASPA is the national association uh, that uh, oversees uh, professions, uh, those in the profession of student affairs. Um, and so she interned at the NASPA headquarters in Washington, D.C. 25 years ago. Um, her career journey led her to focus on providing students with academic support services at institutions all over the East Coast. Her degrees are in sociology, counseling, psychology, and higher education administration. Um, in 2014, Jen began her new journey in a world of oncology healthcare in the Washington, D.C. area. And so I'm hopeful that Jen is able to make it in today. So welcome, everybody. Um, and if you are new to Fireside Chat, uh, thank you for being here. If you are a returner, thank you for coming back. Um, the this show is all about higher education here in the United States, current trends, um, and uh, we are here every week. If you are interested in being a guest, if you have a specific uh, topic that you're interested in, reach out to me here in Fireside, or you can find me on Twitter or LinkedIn. Um, my Twitter handle is at DevoeTrain, my last name, D-E-V-E-A-U, train, like in Choo Choo Train, and you can find me on LinkedIn. All right, let's jump in. And um, I want to start, uh, actually ask you guys, I'm going to go off script a bit. Now I'm going to start with Marta, and then I'm going to go to Val, and then I'm going to go to Jessica. What made you accept uh, and step forward and say you wanted to be part of this show? So I'm going to start with Marta. Again, I'm going to go to uh, Jess and then Val. So Marta, tell me why you wanted to be here and be part of the conversation. Um, hi, Laura, um, and hi, everyone. So I think um, 
the thing that stuck out to me the most is just um, the great resignations real. Um, I'm actually still um, finishing out the semester uh, in my role as assistant dean at Boston University. Um, and so I'm in the process of transitioning and I've had um, the career coaching business uh, as a part-time thing um, for the past six years, but looking to transition to make that a full-time thing. Um, and um, what I've noticed over the last 18 months is that there's been a tremendous um, number of people who've left the field of higher education. My team alone uh, started out with being eight people and we are down to two people. And uh, much of that has not been replaced due to the hiring freeze. Um, and um, they are just starting to hire for the roles and trying to figure out, you know, restructure and figure out what we really need and what we don't need. But um, for the last 18 months, we've operated in a very much uh, bare bones sort of format with people leaving and no, uh, no one being replaced. And I think what has happened is the staff that was there has gotten burnt out and I've just seen the impact uh, that it has taken. And so I think it's just such an important conversation to be having for those who um, are looking to stay or enter in the world of higher education because, and, and especially the leadership at the top, I think there are so many considerations, you know, and I think it, they should be listening to those who have left and, um, and what has made them leave. So, so that was what really stuck to stuck out to me as something that would be worth having a conversation about. Great. Thank you, Marta. And that idea, and I think we're going to come back to that at various points is about how much uh, turnover is happening, how many people are being asked to do more with less. Um, how are these temporary situations seemingly continuing to feel permanent? Uh, I think those are all important pieces. Jess, why did you want to join us today? Yeah, so I am coming at it a little bit differently. I was excited to join. I transitioned from higher ed to ed tech in September 2019. So it's been exactly two years. Um, and what really came to me for this topic was about, I was really, really nervous when I was considering leaving higher education. Mm -hmm. Higher education is all I'd ever known. I was an RA. I was a grad student. I was, you know, I worked my way up through housing and then transitioned to student conduct. And it was a really scary thing to think about what might be next and how that could be out of higher education. And since leaving, a lot of friends um, who are still in higher education have either left or they are considering leaving. And there's um, a lot of questions around what does that look like? How do I transition my skills? What's even out there outside of higher education? Um, and there's a lot of feelings and emotions around that as you leave, because for, for a lot of us, this is all we've ever known in our careers, and that can be a really scary move. So that's why I'm here to, to help with that part. That's great. And, I'm, and part of the reason I was excited to have you on uh, was because you didn't just leave. This has been something that's gone on for a while. So I'm not, I'm glad we have a bit of a perspective here in terms of time. Uh, Valerie, why don't you talk to me about uh, what you're excited about, Val? So I know I based on your Twitter comments today, I know you are ready to go. So, so, I am. Um, so unload. So I, okay. Sure. I left um, residence life in, oh gosh, March of 2019. So I worked in a different position with a different company prior to the one I'm at now. 
And I just, I'm here because I want to offer perspective. I think there, and based on my tweets today, there is a false narrative surrounding making the move from student affairs into specifically the ed tech space. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a lot of folks are under the assumption that it's, the grass is greener on this side, but right. that that isn't necessarily true. And so I'm just really here to share my you know lived experiences working um, in two different ed tech roles and and hopefully just shine some light on, yeah, it's really great in this aspect, but you know, here are some things to consider. Right. Absolutely. And I want to really call attention to the fact that um, in terms of the representation on the panel um, there, uh, I did ask of several people who have recently left the field um, who uh, may have brought a little bit more melanin for the, to the panel. Um, and unfortunately we were not able to confirm them. So I'm hoping down the road, we can have them back. Um, Cause I want to have some other conversations here about how uh, possibly uh, issues around race, racial identity may have actually impacted their decision to move away from the higher ed space. Um, so this is uh, my my uh, more white panel um, of women. And so we're going to see how this goes. Um, but I think you all bring some good ex- good uh, perspective. We've got single folks, we've got married folks, we've got folks with children, we've got folks without. Um, and so I think we have a good panel here in terms of some of the other life and lived experiences. Um, I want to ask the question to uh, kind of move us in this direction. Um, I have put out uh, a lot of uh, thoughts on this on, on social media. I've done some reflection on this uh, in my in my Substack, and when I asked for people to come forward, I had a lot of interest. Um, but I also had people who said, you know, I don't want people to know I'm looking, but I'm really interested in this topic. Um, and I had, I wanted uh, your thoughts on this, and I think uh, I would like to hear from Valerie on this. Why do you think that there's more interest in this particular topic right now, right in this space? I think a lot of it has to do with social media and what that's created. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there is the student affairs expat Facebook group, which I thought was just for expats, but it's people who are looking to get out of the field. So I'm like, well, okay, you're all still employed. And well, say, all these people have moved. To wow. Europe, right? <laughs> right. I was so like, wow. Um, but I think it's a sense of if they're not, if they're doing it, I can do it too, which is great. But you know, people are in different places and some of it reeks of desperation to get mm-hmm. out from mm-hmm. bad working environments. And I don't think folks are taking into consideration everyone's lived experience um, in that. So they just see people doing it and they're like, oh, I'm going to do it too. Um, you know, it, it's just fascinating. I think people are fed up with mm-hmm. um the way they're being treated, the work that's being asked of them. Gosh, you know, I give a shout out to my res life folks who worked during this pandemic and who are still working through this pandemic because boy, oh boy, I, I'm just like more power to you all. You are the real MVPs out there. Um, because to manage that, I don't think I could have been able to do that. Um, right. I probably could have, but I'm just like, man, that, that looked tough. So I just think it's a culmination of a lot of different things and people are just done and ready to move on. Right. 
And and so I want to flip this over to um, to Marta for a, a second for a follow up question. You are someone who is completely keyed into uh, what's happening in careers and what's happening in career space. Do you think that higher ed is different than what's being experienced in other spaces, or do you think that? the type of field we are, uh, and that you are part of this almost more intensive community space. Um, is that something that's, that's impacting it? What do you think's happening as you're looking at the whole career world and why people are leaving jobs? That's a great question, Laura. So I do think there are some overlaps and I do think there are some differences. Um, and I think what you said in the latter part, the intensity of, um, higher ed and, you know, for many of us, not all of us, but we are residential campuses with boots on the ground, you know, students seeing them in person. So whereas um, there's a huge movement to hybrid work and work from home uh, for a lot of um, corporate or other businesses, ed tech, et cetera, and that's a little easier to manage than, um, you know, managing that hybrid work environment um, in higher ed because one, they've been doing it longer. So many mm -hmm. companies had a work from home hybrid option even prior to the pandemic. Um, it's definitely, you know, the pendulum has swung and it's become more of that. And some places are even doing like all remote work, um, sold buildings, et cetera. Right. Um, and I think in higher ed, there's a real friction um, because people who work in higher ed have friends who are not in higher ed and they're seeing, you know, um, they can work from home remotely um, all the time. They're also, they've been working remotely for 18 months. It's really hard to have um, an argument with someone to say your job cannot be done effectively from home when for the last 18 months you've been working from home, you know? Right. And, and I mean, I, I think I understand both sides. I mean, there's the residential component and you need to uh, have people to, to meet with students in person on campus. And much of, especially the um, undergrad life is students want to be with each other, right? Like that's why they go to college. Um, that's maybe to a lesser extent with graduate students, but um, so, and then you have the employees who are like, well, we've been working remotely for the last 18 months. Why are you telling me I have to be in the office five days a week all of a sudden? So there's a real friction there with that. And so I think those are some of the things that have like intensified more. Um, the other thing is I, the thing I mentioned before, I think burnout. And I think that's true for everyone. I mean, you know, speaking from my personal experience, I'm a parent of two young children. Mm -hmm. So for the last 18 months, not only have I been working remotely, I've also been homeschooling remotely yeah. and all of that. And I think, um, you know, I mean, something like 3 million women have left the workforce since the pandemic yes. and close to 2 million men actually as well. But, but that statistic is just baffling that we have had that many people leave. And it's because, um, of the inability to manage all of the demands that are being put on us. And I think people are just burnt out across industries, but you know, again, speaking from my personal experience, what I've seen with my team, I mean, we've asked everyone to take on more and do more with less, even more mm -hmm. so than we normally have in higher ed. And at some point that's going to catch up. And, and the third thing I think specific to higher ed, um, but also in other industries, 
you know, goes back to the hybrid work environment and people, um, you know, maybe leadership feeling like, well, how do we know that people are working effectively? And this level of mistrust that's happening mm-hmm. um, that, um, you know, we've been doing it and doing it well or as well as we could for the last 18 months. And all of a sudden now you're saying we can't do it as well and we have to go back right. to the office. Right. And and so I think those are some key things that I'm seeing both um, in what I'm living, my current experience, and also with clients that I'm talking to. And that's happening across the board. And, you know, they're, that's the great resignation, right? A lot of people are deciding, well, what the company has come up with as a policy doesn't work for me anymore. And I'm going to reevaluate what I want to do because the pandemic has made everyone reevaluate everything, you know? Right, right. Well, and I think that you bring up some really good points there. And I want to also stress that um, a big piece of this and that I hear this with either the students in my graduate program where I I teach, um, where I had a lot of students in my graduate program this past uh, summer who were part-time students um, who were in a master's program, who were now full-time higher ed administrators, and they were paying very close attention to what was going to be the uh, position of the university or college they were working at moving forward saying, am I going to be able to continue with some flexibility in terms of being able to work remote? And um, they saw this loud and clear in terms of what the priorities of the institution are. Um, I think it's also quite telling is how many open positions there are right now in higher education. I'm looking at um, higheredjobs.com is the place where a lot of people in the higher ed workspace go to find work. And in Massachusetts alone, there are close to 5,500 jobs posted. That says something about where people are at and where, and if you are an institution trying to recruit people right now, you are up against a really, really sharp and very difficult hill in terms of hiring good people. Um, I want to thank Jin for being perseverant and uh, getting up here. And I want to give her a moment to say hello. Um, Jin, I introduced her earlier. She now works um, in uh, the world of oncology healthcare in the Washington, D.C. area. And I want to welcome you to the panel and uh, just ask you to say hi to everybody. And then I'm going to pose a question to Jessica immediately after that. So hi, Jen, and thank you for being here. Hello, thank you so much for having me and thank you for your patience. No problem. I hey, Jen, you are one of the most patient humans in the world. So the fact that, you know, you thanking me for this is beyond because you are amazing. Um, Jess, you work in a space, as does Val, um, where you interact with higher education or with education uh, in general. And one of the things I always say is higher education moves at a glacial pace of change. When you moved from that glacial pace to the corporate environment, what was one of the biggest uh, changes in terms of how you performed your work um, and how the culture of the environment um, was different than, say, the higher education landscape that you were so used to? Oh, golly, I have a lot to say here. Um, (laughs) So I, I freaking loved it. I felt free. Um, to be perfectly honest with you. So at my previous institution, um, prior to leaving higher education, I was at a private smaller school. Um, and I, it took two full years 
to make updates to the student code of conduct that was over 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And I had to not only go through this process, but then do the whole dog and pony show with all the boards and all the advisory councils and everything. And it took two years to implement these changes that were just desperately needed. And some of them were just even like, let's not use pronouns. Let's use general neutral, gender neutral mm-hmm. language. Mm-hmm. Um, I left higher ed, went straight into ed tech. And within my first month there, I created their entire student guide. Yeah. Um, I was like, wait, what? This can happen? Um, And so the freedom to move and move quickly Mm -hmm. was amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, There are pros and cons to that, though. Like, and we see that at Lambda School, where one of the perks of Lambda and and schools like us is that we can iterate quickly. And so we can stay ahead of the higher education curve because we can teach new technologies, we can teach new curriculum and roll that out so much more quickly than higher ed can. Um, but that comes with some drawbacks, right? Because if you're a, if you're a learner and you're going through and things are constantly changing and shifting, that can be very frustrating and confusing as well. Um, the other thing personally that I found um, was I had s- so much more room for creativity mm-hmm. and was being praised for that. And the other thing that's really interesting is in some of my performance reviews in higher education, um, I got feedback, which we can, that's a whole different tangent, but <laughs> I, I got feedback that I was a little too opinionated mm-hmm. and I would disagree with people in meetings. And it was always professional and positive, but I, I, I'm going to share. And I think, I think really good environments are dyna- dynamic and can work through those things to come to the best decision. We shouldn't just be agreeing that someone because of their title or position or capital, whatever Mm -hmm. is the right answer. And what I loved about the ed tech space is that was encouraged. And all of a sudden something I was being criticized for is now something I'm being praised for. And I'm Mm -hmm. being drawn into more spaces to have more creativity and ownership and influence over the direction that we're taking the school and how we're working with our students, which is pretty darn cool. Right. I appreciate that because I think what happens here in, in higher ed is that the that glacial pace of change has actually been challenged a bit in the last 18 months where we had to pivot. Um, and so as Marta was talking about, like we moved very quickly to being in a remote environment, um, but the rest of the, the, the academy, and I have, I have been beating this drum, is that we have not taken full advantage of this idea of we can actually pivot and we can actually do some things that have sustainable change in terms of how we do business. And um, I had a disagreement with a, with a vice president at one of the schools in New England recently. We were on a panel together and he said, oh, no, we pivoted really quick. We all moved to Zoom. I said, Zoom is not a pivot. Zoom is a survival technique. And we didn't necessarily change how we did admissions. We didn't necessarily change how we did the work. We have done this, we have changed the environment in which we do the work and we refuse to go and try and do work better. We want to make it as normal as possible. And if I hear one more school say, we're just trying to make it as normal as possible, I'm literally going to yank a, a chunk of my hair out. Marta, Amen, say, <laughs> Go ahead, Amen. No, I was just saying amen, because I, I feel the same way. We, um, I've heard so much, you know, um, when we return to 
normal. And I'm like, no, we, we shouldn't be thinking about return to normal. We should be designing the new normal. Like, what does that look like? And what do we want to look like? What did we learn in the last 18 months? Let's not let that go to waste and go back to just the way things were right before this happened. Right. And that's the thing. And then that thing, I appreciate you. And I, not just because you're agreeing with me, Marta, but I want to say is that we have lost an opportunity here to actually do some things differently and do some things better. Um, you know, other than Marta, the rest of you did not leave higher education uh, during the pandemic. Um, and I know that Jen, you are still very connected to people who work in higher ed, um, even though you've you've dedicated your life now to oncology. Um, and I want to, your thoughts on this. And as you've seen people in your life um, either have to take a step back, take a step to the side, add COVID responsibilities to their, their job. What are you seeing from your colleagues? What are you seeing from the people who you care about in your life? And, and what kind of perspective have you been able to provide because you don't work in that's in the higher ed space anymore? So I'd like to hear from your, your thoughts on that. Thanks. Yeah, I guess I've been out of the field now for ooh, eight, eight years. Um, and you're, you're our, you're our longest tenure outside <laughs> the field. So congratulations. Oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> but in that eight years, I have without a doubt, um, done a lot of counseling and coaching of my, of my brethren from the higher ed. Um, and I think one of the things that I found was a really interesting thread and theme was really the reason I left in 2014. Um, I would say two, two sentiments that always come back to me is I can't keep having the same argument anymore. Mm -hmm. And I can't keep selling the same Kool-Aid anymore. So I usually think about those two kind of vessels that if you just keep coming back to somebody and just keep burying them down and burying them down about the same issues. And if you think about it, because education is cyclical, you know, mm -hmm. the, the fall, the spring, yeah. the summer, the fall, the spring, the summer. Um, there just came a point, I think, for a lot of individuals that when they were seeing promises made, promises broken, you know, um, things that would have been really a no brainer um, in other fields for promotion, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that the combination of what something that we kind of see just get pushed in these past 18 months with fatigue and way too many responsibilities given to people, those were conversations I was having prior to COVID. It just really hyper vigilantly just pushed it all right. Just mm -hmm. so I had, I had some colleagues and friends, um, certainly leave their positions within this 18 months because of all the things that Marta mentioned with, with family issues or, um, you know, every, everything that was mentioned with, you know, by everyone, Jessica or Marta, all reasons are valid, of course. Right. Um, but that's, that's something that I remember the conversations I've had. Um, cause you, yeah, for sure. Within the first year or two years, I was contacted by a good chunk of people. Mm -hmm. Tell me why you left. Tell me how you left. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. How did and, you get uh, out? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I can tell a little bit more about that later. Um, if the question, you know, circles back, cause it was a, definitely a, an odd departure for me, but, um, but yeah, so, uh, the, the, just, I can't keep having the same argument. Right. Well, 
and I think it, it breaks you down. And I yeah. think this is, this is may not be typical to higher education or, or not typical, but it may not be unique to higher ed, but I think there's some different uh, pieces here. I call it the Shawshank effect. Cause if you've ever watched the Shawshank redemption, right. They talk about how um, when you're on the inside, you become institutionalized and um, people yeah. who work in higher ed become institutionalized. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but it is literally you are people who uh, people who work on a campus you wake up in the morning, you look at your drawer and you say, which shirt am I going to wear today that has the emblem of the school on it? Because I know that today I need to wear that shirt or I need to wear my name tag or I live in this space where people see me every day and I have to conduct myself a certain way every day. And you may say, if you're listening to this and you say, well, I work in corporate America and we can't just walk around like maniacs. We have to actually, you know, uh, conduct ourselves with candor and, and joy and, and appropriate and all that stuff. I'm like, it's just different. It is literally different. It is a different language. It is a different way of doing work. It is a different way of living your life. And when people decide to leave higher ed and you no longer have to be somewhere on a Thursday night at eight o'clock because you always had to go to whatever was happening on campus or you had to give up your Labor Day weekend because it was moving. When I left higher ed, not because I necessarily wanted to, which is a whole other conversation and a whole other different show, okay? But when I had my first Labor Day weekend off, I didn't know what the hell to do with myself. And people don't get it. They don't understand that you don't live in that space. And, and that if you are not able to kind of pivot outside of that, I don't know how uh, to explain this other than you're going to need some coaching to move on. Valerie, did you have coaching to kind of move into the tech space or did you just say, screw it, I'm doing this? <laughs> Uh, a little bit from column A and a little bit from column B. There you go. <laughs> um, so, you know, of course, everybody has their screw it, I'm leaving point. And I did, definitely did have that. But I also, I went to therapy, uh, mm -hmm. working in residence life, um, for those of you who do, and maybe even other areas of student affairs and higher ed. Um, when you work with students, at least for me, I took a lot on a lot of that emotion and did mm -hmm. not know how to process that being myself. And then given, you know, the wonky hours, I was not sleeping. There mm -hmm. was a, a um, you know, we were down a lot of staff. So I had multiple jobs along with my assistant director role. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't know how to handle that. So I went to therapy and Thank goodness for that wonderful therapist that I saw in Bloomington, Indiana. Mm -hmm. She was just amazing. And I spent about three years in there. And she was like, all right, let's get down to this. Let's let's talk about how to manage this. Mm -hmm. um, she's, this she's like, this is not normal. <laughs> no, no. And I was like, you're right. It's not normal. Um, and so she was just really great at offering perspective. Now, to move into the ed tech space, I really had to narrow down to what I wanted to do. So I went into my LinkedIn. I said, who works in that space? And I had a lot of informational interviews with folks, um, folks in my network. I'm like, hey, do you remember me? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're like, yes, let's talk. People love to talk about what they do mm -hmm. and are always offering to lend a helping hand um, because it's just good juju. So yeah. I know I have done and passed it, paid it forward to folks. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of just screw this, I'm done. 
mm-hmm. therapy, mm-hmm. and informational interviews with folks. Right. Well, and I'm glad you brought brought up the informational interview because I think it does give you some some uh, kind of perspective of what's happening out there. Um, each of you has participated in something like that in some way. Um, it may not been have got it may not have been to go on to LinkedIn, but it may have been literally picking up the phone, making some phone calls. I know for some of you, leaving the field was because of something happening around you uh, that that happened. I know. Uh, Jen, I believe the reason you left the Boston area is because your husband got a new job um, and it moved you out of the space and it gave you uh, some some kind of thoughts there. What was happening in your brain when you kind of decided uh, moving and uh, not pursuing a job in the higher ed landscape or was that something you were considering and then you just ended up where you were? It was it was so weird. It was just so weird because in the fall of 2013, I was hospitalized a week before school started. And I said to myself, I cannot start another academic year. Mm-hmm. I didn't know why. I didn't know what the, the I just in my gut. And then my mother-in-law died October 2013. And that's when my husband said, I think it's time for me to ask for the transfer back down to DC. Mm-hmm. That took some time. He got the official papers in February. I said, okay, I'll put my, my resignation in in March. Um, and, and I will be bold to say I was glad to use him as an excuse mm-hmm. because, again, I just, I was so tired. I just yep. was yep. so tired um, and had been going to some different medical appointments and stuff. Um, had looked for some jobs down here, but I just wasn't feeling it because I was like, why am I going to go right back into the same hopper? Mm-hmm. And I'm... <laughs> I would never in a million years say being diagnosed with an aggressive breast cancer was a, was a savior, but my body stopped me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we officially moved out of the area. My last day of, of higher education work was May 30th, which was our 15th wedding anniversary. And I just remember looking around and saying, I think this is my retirement party. I think mm-hmm. I'm done. And, um, you know, the rest is history. And I, I did the same thing, talked to a lot of coaches and, career counselors and figured out that I had a calling in, in cancer care. And it, it's definitely something where, you know, when you said that your body told you something, I believe in that. I believe that our bodies tell us certain things. Um, and when you can't sleep, when you are depressed, when you are overwhelmed, um, your body's telling you something and you need to listen to it. Does it mean leave the field? It may not, but it may very well mean get some therapy. It may mean change your diet. It may mean get different types of sleep. It may very well mean being able to talk to your HR professional and say, this is what's happening in my life. And then finding, seeing what the, the response is. If the response is, well, suck it up, buttercup. Hey, sometimes that matters in terms of certain aspects of our work, but not in the day-to-day sustainability of the work. Suck it up, buttercup is not how we should be kind of making our lives uh, go on. And um, uh, I feel really strongly about that. I want to take us to last week's conversation. For those who listened um, and uh, were part of that conversation, it was with uh, Dean of Students at Iona College, uh, Joel Quintong. And Joel was a guest and he really talked about recruitment as a way to, his goal has always been about retention. 
Um, he talked glowingly about this idea of wanting to bring people in who became part of the fabric of the institution. Um, and, you know, he kind of uh, waxed a uh, little uh, lovely thoughts about that idea of getting the clock and getting the chair at certain times along the way. Um, and I, I've been thinking about that conversation because it was, uh, it's how Joel goes about the recruitment of his team and wanting to bring in people who find fit and find, uh, find belonging and uh, enjoy themselves uh, in that space and feel like they're contributing. Um, but that's not how everybody does it. We do a piss poor job in higher ed recruiting. And I wanna get to that for a minute in terms of, I'd love your thoughts and I'm gonna open this up to whoever, just unmute yourself and I'll know that you wanna talk. Um, I wanna hear your thoughts about how higher ed is actually not doing itself any favors in terms of how we hire people. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I'm gonna go with Jen and then Marta. Well, I think one of the things is that I feel like we're still having the conversation about how they're not doing well in their This has been going on for decades. I mean, I yes. remember sitting in board meetings 25 years ago talking mm -hmm. about, you know, the concept of mentor and menteeism and helping, mm -hmm. you know, the whole thing. The fact that we don't communicate somebody's, you know, process and how it's going, you know, not to receive letters of, of thank you for applying, you weren't chosen, all the little things. Um, especially in the day, like you, you were saying, you know, Zoom is just survival. That's mm -hmm. not, you know, that's not the package in which we should be doing things. Mm -hmm. um, my husband now teaches um, at the university and I just have watched like, like he, he's been better handled <laughs> in his like two years, yeah. you know, than I was. Um, but I think that's the thing. And now granted, he's maybe there's something to, to be said for the technology that they're using now and, and the interface. But I just think that it's the fact that they've all, well, I think it also is that that overworking of like one HR personnel person gets assigned to like 17 areas on a campus and mm -hmm. you can't get applications fast enough. But when we're talking about like the humanist side of it, it's it's that someone is not helping those in which are applying and someone is not helping someone know how to interview those who are applying and doesn't right. model the appropriate way of doing it. And right. Right. therefore, if then that person has a great experience, they want to work at said institution. Right. right. Even if they don't get that first job that they apply for, they will apply for another one. Absolutely. And I can think of one institution that I worked for that that, that was like for me. I kind of kept I kept trying to come back to the water because I had such a good, you know, interview experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I appreciate that. Marta, what are your thoughts on this? And, and I know you bring us a, a unique uh, perspective because of your connection to the to the career services uh, uh, functional area of the institution. I have a lot of thoughts on this, but um, I think. You know, what Jen said and adding to that, we don't even, and again, speaking from personal experience, in my experience in higher ed, we don't do a good enough job with writing job descriptions and explaining yes. what it is that we're looking for people to actually do at the end mm -hmm. of the day. I mean, the job descriptions are atrocious and often they're written by people who shouldn't be writing them because there's... I mean, all of higher ed, I feel like, is under-resourced, but certainly the HR function is under-resourced. And so 
we have managers who don't have any training in writing job descriptions, writing job descriptions, and and then pulling together interview committees. I mean, I've had to do this myself, right? You know, you're short, you, you've had people leave and now you have to rewrite the job description and you're trying to meet like what the senior leadership team wants and what you need and what the students actually need. And how do you do all that? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there are great mechanisms, actually, uh, like the predictive index that map job descriptions to the skills that people need to have in those jobs and to behaviors that you need to see in those, you know, the types of personalities that would be successful in those jobs. And I've actually brought this up to say, can we do this? Can we use this? But going back to your point about glacial pace and all that, I, you know, I think maybe in 20 years that'll maybe happen. Um but I mean, so there are tools that we can use to make it happen. Now, they're not inexpensive. And so that might be one prohibitive sort of aspect of it. But um, but, but I think when I work with clients um, on the career side, you know, I actually, when they see a really long job description, I advise them to not apply for those jobs because mm -hmm. it's a laundry list of things mm -hmm. and it doesn't actually tell you what it is that they want you to do. Mm -hmm. um, and so mm -hmm. there are a lot of companies, higher ed is not, you know, the only one. Um, there are a lot of industries that out there that uh, don't do this well, but it's really frustrating because when you're applying to jobs, you don't actually know what you're applying for. And often I talk to clients who are preparing for an interview and they'll say, so I'll ask them, okay, so what's the job description and what do you, you know, what do you need to prepare for? And they're like, well, I actually don't know what I would be doing if I got this job. And, and that's a problem. If we don't know what we'd be doing when you get, how do you prepare for an interview and how do you know that you're fit? Right, right. I think that's a great point. Um, I, I want to talk about pipeline um, as a follow up question. I had a conversation with a, a woman who has been a long time uh, member of the higher education profession. She has done this for literally 40, uh, coming up on 45 years. And she is quite concerned about the pipeline that we have of folks coming into the field. Um, Jess, uh, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on this. And when I'm talking about pipeline, um, I'm not just talking about your kind of your student affairs jobs, like your, your res life or your um, orientation, because those, I mean, especially orientation and student um, student engagement, those tend to be kind of your sexy jobs. Um, no one, no one leaves uh, high school and says, I want to be a title nine administrator. No one leaves high school and says, I want to be a registrar or a financial aid. How do we address this pipeline issue? Because one of the things Marta just said, it really is about fit. Who's in a good position to find their way into these jobs. Do you have any thoughts on the pipeline problem? Yeah, I think that's so interesting because when I think about my own path, I fell into higher ed. I'm right. a first-gen college student. And the only reason I fell into higher ed is because I babysat our director of residence life's kids as an RA. And he's like, hey, friend, like, I know you like teaching, but you can also go into this. And worst case mm -hmm. scenario, you've got a master's degree, get paid more as a teacher. Yeah. And he knew I was going to be kind of a lifer at that point. Um, it's And the hard part for me, and one of the reasons why I got out of higher ed is for me, traditional higher education is not the only path mm -hmm. to a great job, to a great yeah. career, to a fulfilling 
career. And so I think that's the struggle, right? Because there are so many more options now, Mm -hmm. um, especially for careers where you don't need a four-year degree or any kind of specialization that requires a university or college. So I think it's harder because you're having a harder time even attracting the people to the college to get the experience and the exposure to know that, hey, maybe I do want to be a Title IX coordinator someday. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think that's really difficult. I I think if we had the answer to that, and maybe somebody else on this call is smarter than me for that, but we could make millions there. Uh, yes. But it, it's, it's difficult because I think so many of us fall into the profession of higher right. education. So, well, and, and it's and hard. bring up a very good point about that. No one, like I got into higher ed because I fell into it. I don't think anyone on this panel, you know, fell if, you know, said I'm going to go to college, but I'm eventually never leaving college. I'm going right. to continue to, to work at it. Um, so I think it's an important point. And yes, you're right. If we had an answer for this, we could probably set up shop and make a lot of money. Well, and one more thing to add there too. I think the other hard part is as we talk about the great resignation, if we've got professionals who are burnt out, who are disillusioned, who are ready to leave, they're not mentoring the next generation of higher ed professionals. And I know that was a struggle for me at the end is how can I, how can I encourage someone to get into a career that I'm ready to jump out of? Yep. And, and that's a very good point in that you're not going to bring in, uh, you're, you're losing probably what was one of the most important aspects of bringing people into the field is finding good uh, mentorship. Um, I'm going to do a soft pass over to uh, Valerie for our next question. Um, and because um, I know you, you, you want this teed up for you, so I'm giving this one to you. Um, there's no field, no field is perfect. I know that... Uh, that that's a reality. Um, But that being said, what are the areas that you think higher ed could address and should address to retain professionals? Valerie, I'd like to hear from you on that. Compensation. (laughs) (laughs) I think uh, that is the magical word everybody wants to hear Mm -hmm. is compensation. Um, And thinking about how folks get away with well you get free housing mm-hmm. no no free housing really does help but it's not the end all and be all it's not gonna and not every position know, gets it right it's and not people, every position gets it's, it it's really residence life professionals sometimes that's right you're, sometimes you're some you know, oddball other position but it's usually your res life folks right you're you're not getting that so they really need to up the ante with industry standards um you know however just I think AKUHOI, um, which is the national, which is the Association for Housing Professionals, they do a fairly good job of writing a com- salary comparison report, mm-hmm. um, for specifically for housing and residence life professionals. And I'm, and I apologize for keep going back to there, but that is my uh, lived experience is that area. So I think they just need to come to a conclusion as a general population as to you know let's let's create a livable wage for our professionals who work on campus for anyone for student activities, um, career services, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. everybody. It's just not a livable wage. I want to highlight something that you're talking about in 2016. So this happened, it it bridged the Obama uh, Trump land. Okay. And there was in 2016, we had this whole overtime rule. Um, I think it was uh, FL, uh, FLMA, is that what it was? FLSA. Uh, Fair labor. FLSA. Yes. So thank you. So FLSA. And so that happened as I was just going into, I was in my, my role as a vice president 
And I'm talking to other vice presidents and deans around the country, and they were literally like freaking out because now we're moving people to a pay scale that is more in the category of a living wage. We had residence life professionals on some campuses in 2016, mind you, making $25,000 a year. And the reason from the school that they were getting 25 grand a year is they got free room and board, okay? That is not a reason and that does not help people actually live their lives, pay off those debts, pay off student debt. They are in hock up to their eyeballs for that master's degree that you are requiring them to have in order to get the job. And you aren't paying them a wage that is going to allow for them to pay off that debt. Okay. Thank you. Um, and it, it literally, I now I'm going to tell you, it made my heart hurt because we had to try to figure out how we were going to make it work at my tiny institution. Okay. But we ended up, it, it ended up not passing or didn't become something because the Trump administration, there was a lawsuit, of course, it's in Texas. Why not? It's always in Texas. Um, that kind of blocked it. But most, a lot of institutions said, we're going to honor this because it had taken so long to make the decision. Institutions had to start to say, yes, we are going to move people to a certain um, salary. Other schools didn't. There were schools out there that said, well, we're working on it. We're working on it. And there were even some that said, we've made a denouncement. We are going to move people. And then when it didn't become the law, they pulled it back and they said, well, it's not the law. So we're not going to do it. It is, it is, it, it literally, I said to people who were, I was mentoring, who were looking at jobs at those institutions or were in those institutions. And I said, you need to find a new place. You need to find a new employer because if, if their priority isn't you as the employee to make sure that you are at your best and you are at your heart of hearts wanting to be there, you're going to be in a, in a tough spot in terms of how you are there to take care of the students that they're enrolling. And uh, it's, it's really, it, it, that period of time really got me. And Valerie, I'm glad you brought up compensation. I'm glad you said that institutions of higher education have been holding their hat for a very long time on, we've got great benefits, we've got great perks, but you got to start paying people. If your staff, do a poll, if your staff has a side hustle or two, there's a problem and you need to address that. Uh, Jen, uh, Jen, I saw you took yourself off mute a bit ago. Do you have a comment? I think it was from the earlier comment. Just, um, yeah, I mean, I, I can honestly say that um, I make more now working part-time mm -hmm. <laughs> I, mean, I mean that's that i mean something. that's honestly the, the the only way that i can say it um mm -hmm. and i honestly re i wish i could remember what my comment had been prior to that um but i think that one of the things that in the healthcare world we we too have very similar institutional issues but um I think someone mentioned about the, the feeling appreciated um, for your opinions and arguments and things like that. That yeah, that was that, just yep, absolutely. Yeah, just just 
you can just when you can just tell the difference when you've made a move where there's just a um, there's just your fit. So I guess maybe I, I was trying to connect back to the fit. But um, yeah, it's I guess it's similar to what I said. We keep having this. We've had this conversation for such a long time about HR, by compensation. And um, now now you you really are losing people in droves. Yes. You're losing people in droves because you won't respond to the 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 actualities of what happened with COVID-19 and mm-hmm. virtual work and, and everything else. So I I don't I don't see how you're not gonna not be able to respond. I mean you're not gonna be able to fill those positions. Absolutely. Um Marta, you have a follow up and then I'm gonna turn over to Jess. Yeah, I just um wanted to echo what Jen just said, but um in terms of I think we need to walk the walk and not just talk to talk in terms of appreciation for staff um, because there have been many instances where you know I've talked to people who asked for a raise um, because they were being undercompensated and potentially wanted to stay in the role but wanted but had other options maybe and it came back with well yeah we can't we, unfortunately we're not going to be able to match that or what have you and i think we just need to update that reality if we want to retain great people mm-hmm. we need to be able to find a way to walk the walk and not just say yeah we appreciate you but you know we can't appreciate you with money because yeah. you can't take appreciation to the bank and sometimes you know it just comes down to people have bills to pay and and you know they need to make a certain amount so I'm just going to cut in real quickly and say you have to ask them what market analysis, if any, they did when they come back and say, oh, well, no, the market doesn't hold that. Mm. I think a lot of people just take that response. And what so many of us have been in our higher ed world is positions that do not exist. Mm -hmm. I am in a position that is very rare. I created it. Mm -hmm. So I have been, from the day I started, just painstakingly, every single time I meet somebody, both in the States and internationally, finding out what they do, how they do it, who pays them, part-time, three-quarters time, full-time. So that's why I've had an industry market analysis done more, and the hospital has also done it more, because there's so many different aspects of what you know, RNs do. Um, and some, it helps, some it doesn't. But I think that's something I learned that I looked back and reflected back on, you know, some of my jobs. And I'm like, you know what? I never asked, actually asked them, well, show me the market analysis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because there's nobody else on this campus that does this. This is in the state of Florida when I was doing something that was a very specialized testing job. I'm like, I am literally the only person on University of Florida's campus is doing this. So show me. Yep. So I think that's the other thing too. Um, you know, appreciation is great, but I think that was the other thing. You can't um, pay your debts off with appreciation. Right, exactly. It's it's the little stuff that helps you when you've had a bad day, but it's um, that whole thing about, um, well, and I, I, I mentioned it, promises made, promises broken. Um, I, I think that um, they're not, it, it goes to the whole HR compensation conversation. There are not the professionals using the tools that are available to them um, to actually right those salary wrongs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Jess, what do you got? 
Yeah, you just this this part of the conversation has got me so fired up right now, and I know we're wrapping up, but I am so glad the conversation around compensation is coming up because that was a, one of the big reasons I left. As a single person with student loans, a mortgage, I was living paycheck, paycheck to paycheck and not being able to pay like things off and to live my life, mm-hmm. and I was shamed for leaving higher education, which connects the dots to that whole pipeline and this whole institutionalizing of of higher ed folks. Because if I had loved my students enough, if I had cared enough about the work that I was doing, I wouldn't be leaving for money. Mm -hmm. And I think that is really harmful. Um, And I had to have a moment because my brother, who I absolutely love with a high school diploma, was making more than I ever would in, in higher ed as a director with a PhD. Mm-hmm. And now my my entry level staff make more than I do did in higher ed as an as a director with a PhD. Yep. So that I think the compensation thing is is important, and it's not everything to everyone. We want meaning, and we need, we need to find fulfillment in our jobs. But right. it is it is important, and people need to be able to live their life and not just work to survive. Right. And, and, you know, bringing this back last week, I asked, uh, my guest, Joel, uh, Quintong, I said, you know, there was a tweet, uh, that went out from a a person who, who I know from the Boston Metro area. And basically I'm going to paraphrase it is that he was looking at some, uh, job descriptions or job postings. And it was for a literally a, a a barely mid-level. So like an area coordinator residence life job. Um, and it said PhD or terminal degree preferred. Are you freaking kidding me? So we're creating this pipeline problem ourselves where we're saying you have to have a certain degree and this is a terminal degree, okay? And there is, Valerie, I want you to know this is the first time someone's used the poop emoji as the shout out um, on my show. So congratulations on that. I want to give you that uh, uh, that piece there. Thanks. <laughs> no problem. But um, so for those who are just listening and have not been in the Fireside app, you can actually use emojis to, to kind of tell the speaker what you're thinking. And so um, you can't see it if you're just listening <laughs> right now. So um, I want to thank Valerie for the use of the poop emoji for the first time. Um, but the, the, you know, there's that idea of we have created a pipeline problem ourselves. You do not need a master's degree to be an entry-level professional in many of these jobs. But we're saying you do. And now we have, you, you, you go in, you get your master's degree, and now you, were, you are in hock again at a very high level. You are in deep debt, and you're making maybe 42, 45 a year, and that is not enough to pay off those debts, pay your bills, pay your rent and like literally go to a movie once a month. Okay. Marta. Well, and I was just going to add that many of the jobs in higher education are not nine to five jobs. So um, in fact, I don't know too many that are. So when you think about compensating people, you can't think about, well, for a nine to five job elsewhere, you would make such and such amount. You have to really think about, I mean, there are people on call and even over the last 18 months, you know, I feel like even the people who weren't previously on call and working around the clock were working around the clock because we were dealing with students across various time zones and things like that. I know my team was working from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. just to make sure that students had what they needed. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. And that was something that was prioritized for those people who are working on campuses right now. And then the past 18 months of the pandemic, they have had a heavy lift in that they are literally working um, consistently um, at various hours, even though like, well, you just turn on Zoom or you just turn on your email. Wouldn't it be nice to just stop working for 10 minutes, be able to cook dinner and not worry about the ping, 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 ping of your email. Um, And it's, and it was literally an expectation by campus of saying, we want you to stay completely in touch with the students. We need to keep these students enrolled. Retention is so important. We want to be able to make sure they're seeing the return on investment that they have in these very expensive institutions. And so, you know, they want to be able to say that they've done the work. Jen. I mean, this is why I have everybody at the hospital with me. Yeah. This is why I have increasing diabetes, stroke, heart issues, you know, cancer. I mean, this is, this is a bad cycle. Yes. Yes. It is such a bad cycle. Absolutely. I need that to be said is that it's not okay. No, this is not sustainable. And it is absolutely something where, where our professionals, it's okay to speak up for yourself. Um, I'm seeing a lot of the unions, a lot of collective bargaining, pushing back on some of the expectations. And I'm also seeing more institutions running away from this idea of, of uh, wanting uh, staff to, who are not, not in a collective bargaining situation, find themselves there um, because they may be concerned about what comes out of that in the end. Um, We are up at 104. We uh, are going to close out today's show. Um, But I wanted to give uh, a, a minute to say, this is not about doom and gloom. I know that I've been critical. I know that this conversation is critical. But if we are going to be better as a field, we need to look at the people who've left, not beg them to come back, but address the issue in terms of how people are leaving why people are leaving, and what we could have done to keep them here. Is it the salary? Is it the job description? Is it saying to people on their evaluation, you know what, you're too critical, you need to get in line. Are we going to be committed to this idea of being able to be nimble, showing our our mettle when it comes to being nimble? And are we going to be able to do better work down the road in order to attract the best people to work in the field and retain them. I encourage everybody listening to actually think about what they can do in their own space to say, why are we just dragging out the same ways of doing things and not actually making things better? And we're going to keep uh, talking about that in the weeks to come in various ways. If you are interested in being here with me at Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe as a guest, please reach out. Um, I'm going to give each of the panelists an opportunity to say how people can find them, whether it be LinkedIn, Twitter, et cetera. Um, We're going to go around the horn. We're going to start with Valerie, then Marta, then Jess, and then Jen. Val, how do people find you? Oh, I made it real simple for everybody. You can tweet LinkedIn, Facebook, Valerie Haruska. So it's my full name, V-A-L-E-R-I-E-H-E-R-U-S-K-A. Simple. You have that like almost in like a melody. I love that. Thank you, Val, for being here. I really appreciate it. Marta, how about you? Uh, People can find me on LinkedIn, Marta McManus, or my website, martamcmanus.com. 
Thank you for being here, Marta. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And Jess. So for someone who works in tech, I am not all over the place. (laughs) So (laughs) LinkedIn is the easiest way to find me. And it's just Jessica Pence, P-E-N-S-E. Thank you, Jess, for being here. I appreciate it. And Jen. I am on Twitter at the underscore daily underscore Jen, the daily Jen. Thank you so much. And I want to uh, tease our next show. It is not going to be as intense. It is going to be fun. Um, (laughs) It is on the television show, the Netflix show called The Chair. And I will be joined uh, by uh, uh, Brianna Sevigny, uh, who is going to uh, be my co-host. And I see Jen's excited about that. So hopefully she'll come back and be in the audience and take part. Um, We're going to talk about The Chair, the Netflix series, and we're going to see how real is it, how messed up it is, and how much are we going to enjoy talking about that. Um, More shows will be announced uh, in the weeks to come. And uh, this is your midday Uh, midweek space for you to get your higher education uh, development on. Think of it as your once a week drive-in conference that you don't even have to get in the car for. So thank you for being here. Thank you for being part of Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. Um, And everyone have a wonderful week. Stay safe and tune back in with us next week at noon on Wednesday. Have a good one, everybody.